So, hi everyone. I, I guess to the very first uh, mental health and tech uh, podcast. So, this is something that kind of has been taking several forms before, something that's been spe- spoken about a bit. So, let me maybe just start by introducing myself um, and then speaking a bit more about what you're actually listening to right now. So, um, so my name is Skulk. Um, Surname is Fenter. Um, I'll tell you in a second why I need to include my surname as well. Um, but so yeah, I, I'm in the tech world. I, I work as a consultant, uh, have a background in design, um, and also you know do a lot of JavaScript development work in the web space and so forth. I'm also very much in the world of teaching and so forth, um, like teaching, programming, and design, and so forth at a tertiary level. And I have recently been doing a lot more speaking on kind of my own mental health and kind of journey in terms of mental health and mental illness. And it's one of those things, like once you start opening up about it, like you just get all these other people that are jumping in and like, hey, I want to talk about mine as well. And, you know, um, so... I think there's been such a big interest. This is something that I maybe started out trying to just do myself, but there's been such a great interest that um, I spoke to someone else and we actually thought that, hey, let's maybe see if we can actually formalize this into some type of podcast or something as a means also to keep ourselves accountable because um, speaking about mental health is never fun. Um, I can honestly say I actually don't want to be here right now. I'm having such a rough week and I not want to deal with this type of stuff. So there's also value in terms of that accountability. So the reason why I actually named my surname is because the co-host is also called Skulk, um, which is a tricky situation because uh, Skulk isn't that common of a name. So I I don't really know how to navigate this um, area because uh, I've never really had to share a platform like this with someone else called Skulk as well. Um, So yeah, like, uh, but let me hand over to him. Um, So that would be Skulk Nietling. Um, And yeah, I'll let him tell you guys a bit more about himself. And then we'll just introduce our guest uh, Gideon after that. Yeah, go ahead Skulk. Thanks, Skulk. Um, so yeah, I'm the other Skulk of, of the Mental Health and Tech podcast. As uh, Skulk mentioned, this is going to get weird. Uh, <laughs> I'm Skulk Nietling. I live in Pretoria in South Africa, and um, uh, I've done a lot of things. I'll Let me summarize it into what I'm doing right now instead of talking about the history. So um, at the moment, I am founder of my own business called Mechanical Inc. Um, it's heavily focused on open source and education, especially for junior developers, and even more specific than that, junior web developers, and creating a space for these people to share their stories. Um, I do that through another podcast I have. And then as uh, Mechanical Inc. Um, on the open source side, I'm focused on how to make open source more welcoming and diverse um, because through another podcast I do which clearly shows that I do too many podcasts um, I talk with people in the open source space and I've learned that you know there's a reason why when you look at it it seems to be one-sided um, and mental health plays into this um, in both sides so for junior developers there's a lot of challenges around um, speaking up and having a voice in an industry that seems to only um, celebrate those at the very top. 
Um, and then in open source, there's this challenge of not being neurotypical, I think, um, and also not being in a specific gender and a specific um, skin color, let's put it that way. If you are outside of that, it, it, there's problems. So, and I have struggled with mental health for, since I was 15, so I guess it's about 30 years now. Um, and I've had successes, I've had super, super lows. Um, at the moment, I'm in a relatively good space. So I think it's a good time for me to talk about the good and the bad. And also, I'm seriously curious about learning other people's journeys like Gideon's and understanding how they navigate this world in a industry that is so fast-paced and so demanding on our time and on our mind. So that's everything from me. So I'm going to hand the mic over to Gideon and let him introduce himself. Thanks, Colt. Um Shout out to a fellow Pretoria man. Um, I, I grew up in Pretoria and I lived there for 30 years and moved to Cape Town about 10 years ago. So, uh, yeah, still some really fond memories um, living there. Um, yeah, my background. Uh, so I turned 40 this year and uh, I studied um, at University of Pretoria, partly because I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, <laughs> I studied the thing closest to what I thought I could do, which was multimedia, which was like this combination of visual design and uh, computer science. So yeah, I uh, did a degree in an honors there, uh, coincidentally met my wife there, um, uh, we've been married now, I think this will, will be 17 years, um, and we've got a nine-year-old boy who's got some pretty rough ADHD, <sighs> the things I've seen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we can get into that. Um, so, uh, yeah, after Varsity, I worked as a, <coughs> sorry, .NET developer for um, five or six years. And uh, nowadays that's frowned upon. Um, <laughs> it's like saying you supported Hitler, I think. Uh, it's on the same lines or Yo, what a way to start um, the first show. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah. it, you know, yeah. Um, anyway, so I'll, I'll leave it at that. And then uh, I was uh, very, so to backtrack before I studied multimedia, I was also very interested in human beings. So I thought I would go the route of psychology, but my mom, having worked her whole life as a lecturer at the varsity was like, you know, the problem there is like the industry is quite full and there's like only X amount of people that get accepted for on uh, their master's degrees or whatever to practice. So you know, keep that in mind. So anyway, that's why I ended up studying multimedia, but I'd always loved working with people anyways. And um, yeah, about five or six years in during development, I, I kind of stumbled upon UX, uh, I think it was around 2010 or something. And uh, that really fascinated me, the, the intersection basically of, you know, tech and parts or facets of human and human psychology and so on. Uh, so yeah, I, I jumped into... Um, design. I'll, I'll, get in, I'll get into reflections that I've had more than a decade later about why I made certain decisions and how mental health, I think, also plays into that. But nonetheless, um, yeah, I started full-time designer in 2012. That's also coincidentally when I moved to Cape Town. And yeah, I've been steadily trying to uh, become a better designer over the last decade or so. Um, I've worked mostly, I would say, in the fintech space. Uh, more than anything else, um, 
love to work someday uh, on some healthcare pro products or projects, that would be great. Um, yeah, also very passionate. Um, uh, Skulp was really, I think, the guy that ignited or carried that flag for me is like to be able to talk about it because it wasn't like I was hiding it necessarily, but I, you know, I wasn't like known for that aspect, you know, mm. I guess outside of a few people I know. Um, yeah, I don't know if that was too much of an introduction, but yeah. That's, that's no, that was great. I, like, I also have to say, like, on, on this specific show, you're going to have to be much more specific when you refer to a skulk. Um, so, but I assume that would have referred to me since this is the first time you and skulk Nietling meet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting. But it's interesting, and I, I guess this is how things work. I would say the same about you, um, is that I, like, this is something I've been thinking about speaking about more openly and so forth and like it was actually your talk that you did um at at uxsa uh, so ux south africa uh, where you spoke about imposter syndrome um and just seeing the q and a's afterwards sure like i i think the q and a's almost lasted longer than the actual uh, talk itself did um and it like brought up all these other things not even related to um, actual imposter syndrome around mental health and so forth um, that I was like oh, man like people really have a desire to talk about this stuff um, so and I was like sure like I I'm in a position where I talk about a lot of things I talk about JavaScript um, lots of other things so uh, why not also use the same opportunities to talk about something that is kind of very central to my own life um, and like also to go somewhere in destigmatizing it a bit, uh, because it is one of those things. Like I think very similar to you. Like I didn't necessarily set out to actually start talking about it openly. Um, I actually just started. Like I, I think I've never tried to hide it. Um, just the way my life, and it might be because of my background in visual arts. So I actually you know studied painting and stuff, and I. There's a lot of things you can say about the visual art world. Um, I think one of the things is mental health and mental illness is less stigmatized in the world. Like kind of this whole thing about like the tortured artist or the you know misunderstood genius or whatever. There's some problematic aspects to that. But so I think I've always just been open about it. Uh, because everyone, everyone else I knew, like in the art world, were like kind of barely hanging on to sanity. So... Um, yeah, and I think I just, like, when I came into the tech world, um, I never actually just stopped talking about it. But because of that, because I've just been honest about it, like, I almost, like, like it's like, I, at conferences, I, I used to mention, you know, kind of, I have a history with, like, mental health and so forth, and just to destigmatize it. And what I would find is people would start asking so many questions about that, that it would derail the conversation, um, that I was actually meant to talk about. And so I actually removed it uh, from my introduction just because of that, um, which kind of leaves this, you know, like, it's almost like now you have these people who have to talk about this thing that never really planned to be like, you know, hey, I want to really talk about this. I want to be known as the guy who talks about mental health. You know, I'd rather be the guy like, oh, that guy who like knows all the stuff about JavaScript. Uh, but just like 
almost out of necessity. You know, like it, it feels like that happens just by sheer inertia alone, that because people are so, like, what would be the word? Like people, people are so hesitant to talk about it that when someone talks about it, it just like attracts all these conversations and stuff, like starts gravitating towards that. Um, yeah, I'm curious. So I, I think Gideon and I have kind of shared more of a journey in relation to this. Uh, Skulk, I, you and I spoke about this briefly um, in, in another show that we did where you mentioned about your blog and how you share some of your personal stuff. But I actually don't know that much about your journey. And so I'm curious whether you've found this to be the case as well, that, you know, it's almost like if you start opening up about it, like, like there's no shortage of people that want to talk about it. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, <clears throat> let me think about it. So some of the things you said made me think of a, another podcast that was, it's not, I think they del deliberately only recorded a couple of episodes. Um, it's, uh, no, no, not even you, uh, the, the maintainer of Babel. Um, dang it. What's his name now? Yeah. Henry Zhu. Uh, Henry Zhu. Yeah. Yeah. Henry Zhu. And um, um, so he had, a, he had a show he recorded, Hope in Source, and where they actually talked, um, Nadia Ekbal was the other person that was with him, and they talked about um, religion and specifically Christianity. And I think in the, in the world of tech and science, um, it's almost, I can almost compare that to talking about mental health in the sense mm. that a lot of people, if you, if you listen to scientists and tech people, more often than not, they're agnostic. Um, so talking about religion and then talking about specifically Christianity is almost, it's, I can imagine it's very uncomfortable um, because you're not sure how this is going to be received as a person in the sciences. Um, so... I can kind of draw parallels between the two. And um, so, that's, so that's kind of how it's been for me. Um, I have, over the last three years, four years maybe, um, become much more open about just putting it out there and being okay with, with whatever that is. But at the same time, I do have to admit that until pretty recently, I was still compartmentalizing. I mentioned this to you, um, that I had this stuff I wrote about on Medium that was very open and like honest and everything but I wouldn't go around telling people about that like you know if I tweeted something it wouldn't be I just wrote a blog post about xyz but then some people stumbled upon it and they like would private message me and they would say holy cow I didn't know you went through all of that and I'm you know I'm inspired by reading that and thank you for writing it and being so honest and the more I heard that the more I was like wait a minute if this is helping people then I should be talking about it more. And, and so I've deliberately like not compartmentalized anymore. But it's hard. It's scary. It really is. Because you never know how a client or uh, if you're full-time employed, how your employer, how your manager would react if you suddenly say, you know, I'm, I'm having a rough time. Um, it's not, you won't see it physically, but I'm struggling. And I need a day or two just to, just to find my feet again. You're never sure how that's going to land. Um, and so I still find that hard, to be honest. Um, I'm still a little concerned about that sometimes. 
So I do do the thing with what they call masking or um, switching, like pretending that everything's okay when it's not, but then only speaking to people on the back, you know, your little private Slack groups that you end up creating. And in, amongst yourselves, you would talk about, I'm having a tough time and people would be supportive. Um, so I think that is why this is so important so that we don't have to feel like this anymore. Because, yeah, the old thing, if, if, if you have a broken leg, you know, people don't just say, walk it off. You, you need actual medical care to get your leg fixed. Um, so I think the same goes for this. While it's not always um, observable from the outside, um, it's, it, it has very, very real impact on your quality of life and your ability to do the work that you need to do. And so, yeah, I'm glad we're talking about this more openly. Yeah, yeah. I think that also, like, ties in kind of, I think Gideon also has, has quite a bit to, like, say on that as well, because I know you've spoken about this quite a bit, um, which kind of, like, you went through a, a very tough time, uh, specifically related to your wife being ill um, and kind of, like, almost going like being in that kind of survivor mode you know so obviously you you have an inclination to like a lot of you know like I don't, I don't know what the word would be but you know like for myself I would say I have an inclination to you know behavior and thoughts and stuff that tend to be a bit neurotic um but then, like, even just well-adjusted people, you know, so um, Skulk says, to just give you context, so, so Gideon's wife at some point uh, was battling with cancer. Um, and, you know, so obviously he still had to go to work and whatever. So, um, and I think even for, quote-unquote, people with more healthy thought and, and, and behavioral patterns, that is crushing, like... Uh, so, Gideon, I don't know if that is maybe something that you're perhaps keen on, on speaking to um, and specifically how you navigated that process of obviously you can't just be in the office the whole day being like, yeah, guys, like everything sucks. Um, you know, like, like, you know what I'm getting at here, you know. Um, I <laughs> yeah. often joke, sorry, like just before I hand it over to you, I often joke that one of the most frustrating things for me about being open about this is that people think they can't criticize you, otherwise you're going to kill yourself. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, honestly, like, I, it is so frustrating. Like, it's, you know, a lot of times, like, I'm like, oh, man, I can see a remarkable change in people's behavior. Like when they learn this about me, like, and I'm like, just treat me like a normal human. Like, ugh, man, yeah. And they're like, oh, I'm not going to say something mean about Skulk because he's not going to be able to handle it and he's going to have a meltdown and like just a mental break. And yeah. But anyway, sorry, that was a bit of a tangent. But yeah, so, so obviously I need to manage that as well myself as well. So I'm, I'm curious how you kind of manage that and like how you also managed it during that period where you just don't, I assume you just didn't go like, listen guys, my life sucks right now. Don't ask me how it's going. <laughs> okay, sure. Um, so this is a bit random, but something that popped into my head whilst you guys were talking um, about, you know, we all have kind of, um, I, I call it almost like whether it's a bad day or sometimes you go through a bad season. It might be a week, it might be a month, you know, depending on what you're going through. Um, and something that I've that that's kind of become useful for me, um, and that maybe you want to try this on some of the next episodes is um, 
like doing a check-in. They, the mm. check-in is just like, what's my mental state today? It sounds super cheesy. I thought it was at the beginning, but I think it's useful because what it does is also, obviously it kind of brings across this thing of like, firstly, being open and honest as much as you want to be. Um, and, and secondly, you know, that, because that's what we're talking about, stigmatizing this. So this week's been a rough week for me, kind of, not the worst, it's been kind of rough and I sometimes I don't know why sometimes it's not circumstantial sometimes it's just something with my body um, so apart from anxiety and depression I, I, I struggle a lot with um, chronic fatigue and I've done yeah let's, let's just say that's what talking in and of itself like the amount of medical testing things I've done and not found any concrete answers is, is out of, outside the scope of this but yeah this week um, like I've just been super fatigued and as a result, it's just like everything takes more effort or motivation, in other words, to, to do like very mundane or routines of tasks. Mm. Um, yeah, that's where I'm at. Um, mm. I'll, I'll, I don't know if you guys want to just give like 30 seconds of like. Yeah, I can definitely I can definitely speak to that. Uh, so, yeah, like I mentioned, you know, I wasn't kidding when I said I actually don't want to be here right now. Uh, but that that's a good thing about like accountability and like having a space where and I actually find honestly that that is the value I get from support groups um, is that there's a little bit of a level of accountability. Um, I can't cancel an appointment with a therapist and the therapist is going to call me and be like listen here buddy you need to give me that money and you need to come and pay for that session you know because that dynamic is just completely different um and i actually yeah i've also been going through a tough time um and i actually sent the therapist that i went to previously an email over the weekend and i said like what is your schedule like um i think we need to maybe pick up some recurring sessions again and i haven't responded and he kind of said like hey this and this and i haven't responded to it yet because i've just been like i i can't deal with that right now um just with all the work stuff that's going on and you know there's a lot of stuff going on in terms of work there's a lot of stuff going on in um just like so my second daughter is on the way um in july which is great but also you know there's a lot of stuff going on there um yeah like my my life is just like like challenging at the moment and and like and the irony being that, like, I can't imagine how I would be able to go to a therapist right now. Um, but I don't know. Hopefully next week I, I kind of feel that I have space to do that. Uh, but, yeah, so I'm, I'm not in a much better space either. But, like, you know, like, you're, you're, like I'm fine. I'm, I'm functioning. Um, I'm not at risk of not wanting to wake up tomorrow morning. And, like, it's just not fun. Um, so like I, I often distinguish between kind of emotional strain that's paralyzing and emotional strain that's just like not fun like jogging that is not fun or waking up in the morning is not fun yeah this isn't fun at the moment but it is what it is um, and also notice how many disclaimers I gave there um, because it's so unnatural to say I'm not going through a good time that you have to have all the it's all right don't worry I'm gonna be fine yeah like there you go. Cool. Other skulk. He's going to be like, I'm having the best time ever. I'm living the dream, guys. Like, <laughs> leave us elite. <laughs> La vida loca. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, <Yeah>. No. <laughs> no. No, no, that's been rough. Um, I think... Uh, I mean, I think the last three weeks really has been a little, a little rough. I'm, I'm, I feel super overwhelmed. Some of it is is due to, and again, here I come with my disclaimers. Some of it is due to me just not saying no when I really ought to. Um, some of it is a particular client that I would not name, um, where there's the environment is incredibly toxic, and I'm finding it super hard to deal with it because I have this like innate nature to um one is make help others when i see they're struggling it's very hard for me to sit in meetings and things and speak to people on slack and know they're deeply unhappy and not being able to to fix that um i take a lot of that on on top of the stuff i already i'm already dealing with and then i kind of overload myself and then i get my wheels start spinning and then i'm like i don't know what the heck am I going to do? Because I have work and I have some clients mm. I actually like to do work for. But then this one thing like drags me into the ground. So I have to find. Um, so the, I'm going to go a little bit longer than I, and than I thought. So what I'm trying to do with this specific situation is if you go in, in Tibet, if you go to uh, the monasteries there, they have this ritual where they give you three little pieces of paper. And you write down three things that you're carrying that's weighing you down that you need to let go. And then you take that and they have a big fire going and you would throw each one into the fire. And as it burns, you forgive the person you need to. You forgive yourself if that's who you need to forgive. And you let go of that thing. So that's what I'm trying to do with this. I'm trying to post these meetings, take a moment to just meditate or something and just let whatever happened there go and make peace with it and remind mm. myself that I can't fix every person's problems at the moment I can't even fix my own so and then I need to move on so but yeah it's draining it's it's emotionally draining and um, unfortunately I load a lot of this off on my wife which is not entirely fair but I have to I have to tell someone I can't keep it to myself so then I have mm. to also take time to listen to her, to give her a moment to vent, you know, because otherwise I'll just end up dragging her down. That's, that's, that's the other side of this coin. If, if you're struggling mm. and you have a partner and you're offloading on them all the time, that's not fair. You need to also sometimes be the one they can offload to. So you have to mm. find that, that, that balance. So, yeah, um, no, not La Vida Loca at all. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, that, that's great. Go ahead. Yeah. No, sorry. I was, that was great because um, what we did is we, we were transparent sort of and we shared as much as we're comfortable with. And uh, what we also do in this kind of, um, I almost call it a ritual, is we, we don't really comment necessarily on each other and say, hey, Skulk, you should be trying, I don't know, ayahuasca or whatever. <laughs> That'll fix your problems, right? I, no one's giving any solutions it's good to just share and, and kind of let it be almost like accept also, you know, that each is going through their own path, their own struggle. Um, yeah. Sorry. Just wanted to come. No, that, that is great. And, and like, as, as mentioned, you know, I, I caught myself like actually giving all these disclaimers and being like, Oh no, it's not. And it, I think it just shows how stigmatized this is. Like, like it's almost like we just can't help ourselves. We can't just like leave it there. And that is it. 
um, if it's someone else, we need to be like, hey, man, like, no, I know it seems tough now, but like, it's going to get better. And um, sure, like I that like there's nothing in life that has made me feel as unheard as sharing with someone that like I'm in a really bad place at the moment and them not wanting to go there with me them being like no it's it's gonna get better like it's fine like don't worry like you know it's like they're almost like not willing to accept that like there's some catch there's some out there's something they can say that's gonna make it no it's actually all right you think it's bad but it's actually all right um yeah, yeah it's sure but like did we just how did we just end up on the Gideon podcast that's what I want to know like <laughs> now I feel like I'm a guest on your podcast <laughs> yeah no sorry so, I just thought it's, it's no that cool was great to, yeah you know yeah to not just have my perspective but kind of how you deal with it you know and, and, and kind of yeah just to showcase I guess the variety also like I'm one case, your case, your case, Scott Netlin's a case, you know, um, everyone's very different. Um, but sorry, I did derail your original question. <laughs> um, if you could just quickly. So, yeah, I was specifically asking about, you know, so Skulk Nedling mentioned about, uh, you know, like kind of masks and, you know, um, kind of this mode switching. Um, like even now, you know, like, so obviously, so we are having this discussion now and, um, I'm going to have a meeting after this at some point, not directly after it, but eventually. And then I'm not going to be like, yeah, guys, listen, like I, I learned all this stuff about like, it's okay to just be okay if you're struggling and I'm going to be like, all right, guys, let's, let's get this backlog going. Um, and I think like, so because I know, because he shared a lot of his thoughts on that with me, and I, I know what he's also getting at is that, like, that's very exhausting, like, doing that mode switching all the time. Um, so I'm curious, kind of, like, how you managed that during this time where you were having a tough time and, you know, your wife was kind of, like, battling cancer and so forth. Obviously, you you had to be functional at work and you, like, couldn't just... You, things had to happen at work. Like, how did you... And I know you didn't... I think you mentioned you did take some time off, or I don't know if you did take some time off. Um, but I'm more curious in terms of how you manage that kind of mode switching of what work requires of you as opposed to what you almost require of yourself emotionally. So I think one of... And this is something I suspect I will try and manage till the day I leave this nice earth is trying to not can say project too much of what people, what I think people want me to be like. I, I think throughout maybe most of my life, um, I was a chameleon and I tried to shield myself, you know, your subconscious and, you know, a lot of other things are, are doing all sorts of things to shield, shield yourself from, from whether it's physical harm or emotional harm. And I think in my case, there's a whole backstory probably to that and the way I grew up, et cetera, et cetera, that all factors or plays into this. But nonetheless, um, by the time something, or my wife was now 2017 when she was diagnosed with a brain tumor, um, I was already very well equipped <laughs> to, to, you know, to kind of put it like that. As one well can practice. be. <laughs> As, you know, in, in masking, 
by then without, I think, consciously thinking about it though. But, you know, reflecting back on that period, definitely, I, I was pretty good at it by then. And, and so it's not like I, I guess, made it out like, oh, everything's fine. But at the same time, it's this conundrum we spoke about, which is like, I can't completely fall apart in a sense either because the people at work were very um, sympathetic towards the situation. I, I was very fortunate. I mean, I, I can't speak for everyone in the environment, um, but like my, I was a designer um, and it was like my creative designer, it was like my boss and then his boss. And all of them were very supportive uh, of that. I remember sort of our head of design even taking me aside and he's not, He's not like a super wishy-washy kind of emotional person, but even he took me aside and he, he kind of, you know, spoke, talked to me about it and he, he kind of just yeah, gave his sympathies and, and, and tried to support me in that regard. So <clears throat> I did the best I could. Then obviously, in my case at least, um, it was kind of like my, my psyche, I guess, for lack of a better word, went into survival mode. And, and this meant everything was compartmentalized, which is not completely different from how I am now, but it was definitely a very, it's like on steroids. Like, you know, you, when, you're, yeah, when your body- Sorry, I'm gonna interrupt you. Hello. Hello. We see you remain, sir. Yeah, so you guys can't- Inga. Um, so you guys can't see, but my daughter is just like tugging at my pants down here. <laughs> cool. Sorry, I'll let you continue. Yeah. No, no worries, man. Um, so yeah, I, I think because I, I, I recall vividly like going to the hospital after work every day for probably a month or so, and kind of yeah just trying to hold it together, I guess. And, but not almost giving away too much of myself emotionally because then I would fall apart. Um, and I, I, w I don't think I was capable of a lot of, I would almost say very good, like deep work and, you know, sort of critical thinking and, and maybe creativity during that time. Again, I mean, it's, can go look up studies, but typically when your body goes into survival mode, certain parts of your brain literally almost shut down. Your body's now going into like lizard mode and it's like, I need air, I need food, <laughs> you know, I need a, a warm place to sleep. Um, it's, it doesn't care now about, you know, does this layout work or does it not kind of thing. Mm. Um, so that was a rough period, definitely. This, then my wife had sort of a relapse at the end of 2019. Um, I then moved on to a different company and um, the second time round, I mean, was to some degree a little bit less rough because by then, obviously, we'd been through a first round. So I had a better idea of what to expect um, from the overall sort of process and recovery and everything. Um, so I didn't go through quite the same level of um, stress and, and, and like my body shut, shutting down. Um, I was lucky again, the employer was like, we had a very informal kind of culture. Um, so <clears throat> the CTO told me, <clears throat> take as much time off as you need. Like there's no rush to, to get work done. There's more than enough work for, from a development side to do. So I think it took like 
three weeks or something off um, during that time. Um, but for the most part, yeah, I, I, what happens to me during those times is just to kind of literally almost take it one step after another because if I, it's like if my brain um, say ruminates or thinks, tries to think too much about the worst possible outcomes, it, it would completely disable me. So it's almost like a defense mechanism, I guess, that kicked in. Yeah, like it's, um, no, I 100% get that. Um, and I think that's also what makes it so appealing um, so for myself. So why, what makes it so appealing about just throwing yourself into work? Um, like, like I'm talking about other contexts where you don't want to deal with emotional stuff. You just throw yourself into work because I think that stress and demand almost like forces you to not ruminate. Um, but there's also dangers to that as well. Um, I can definitely think about, so I was at a place, one of the most, um, Sure, and it, it feels so. I don't want to. I don't know what the word is, but it almost feels bad, like equating like this with like literally your wife, like having cancer. But you know, like um, I'm trying to find a touch like point it, here. Yeah. Look, sorry. everyone's experience. No, sorry. Just to say, I think everyone's experience. It's it's about the experience at yeah. the end of the day. Like you, you, you know, you might not be literally on death's doorstep, but it might feel internally mm. like you are, regardless mm. of. You know, what's happening exactly yeah. around you. And that's, that's as valid because that is, in you know, air quotes, your reality at that point in time. Yeah. And, and, and I think there are certain things that are different intensities of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I think for me, like, so in, when was it? Like, I think 2018. Like, so I broke off an engagement. Um, so we were engaged about to get married and like I just realized I can't do this like I can't and and that was a very tough period for me and I like just threw myself into work as as a way to deal with that um which meant in retrospect that I never actually had time to process a lot of that those things but there is something there is something about that almost that that I don't want to say clarity that you get, but that sense of focus that you get when things are overwhelming. Uh, I I almost uh, like I often joke and say, you know, like it's not the the things that I struggle with are not like the really big stuff. Like the the stuff that gets me is like the little stuff day in day out, um, little things like you know this 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 nagging sense of like what is the meaning of anything, um, you know, like. Why am I even waking up? Um, why am I earning the salary if it's all just going to be spent on life cover and groceries and, you know, and like at the end there's nothing left. And, you know, like all the, those are the things that get me. And then I'm like, yeah, you know, why, why even anything? Um, but yeah, yeah, like as you said, things come in different flavors. Mine definitely has a very strong existential bent to it where it, it's very much... Like, I think so when I was, so when I was, sure, I think like 12 years old or something, I was actually in a coma. Um, so I got, I got meningitis, uh, got very severe septicemia, which is uh, kind of your blood actually getting infected. 
and um, yeah, so like it was very touch and go, and um, like I and I think it's hard to say because you're such a young age, so you don't know you you have no control to measure it against. But I also think a lot of the the a lot of the stuff that like I struggle with was because of that, not not because of um, like physically, but having to readjust again. You know, like so I was in the hospital for a very long time. I struggled with like really extreme headaches for a very long time. It took me a very long time to adjust again at school and so forth. And I think that has always kind of like in your subconscious, like like it's almost like you always feel like there's something off about you. Um, but you know, so I think oftentimes things also take the 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 has a specific bent in that direction where I'm like, man, was it actually worth actually even surviving that? Like for what? For this, you know? So um, that is kind of a lot of the stuff that I struggle with. It's almost like when things are really intense and like when it's... So also during COVID when my wife was... We were one month away from giving birth to our daughter. Um, our landlord kicked us out. Um, and like that's that's a long, complicated story. Comes basically down to like, I think... I don't know. I don't want to speculate too much, but we think he, his wife kicked him out and he needed a place to stay. So obviously it was kind of like this dominoes and he kicked us out. It's like, you know, sucks to be you guys, but I need a place to stay. And sure, so things needed to happen. You know, like my wife was like going to give birth in a couple of weeks. And, you know, and, and in those moments, it's almost you get this clarity and you almost get this focus. Um, it's the it's the, the other things that get me get me really it's like just the little things building and building and building yeah um skulk i'm curious whether you have anything to add to that um yeah um yeah i mean i definitely have a have a, a tendency to go to the worst case also and ruminating on it i mean in the last two three weeks i especially last week mostly i think i got to a point where i was 100% experiencing an existential crisis with regards to all the AI stuff that's happening at the moment. Um, and, um, yeah, I see you're raising your hand, Gideon. And um, <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is because I, you know, there's a lot of things I worry about, about this, a lot of things. And, and, and some of that is, is the impact on people like literally like people and and the amount of the unresponsible way this is done the way this is just thrown out there and even called early experiments with things you have no real idea what it can or cannot do and you have very little control over it um to the point where you know i i was watching so many talks and videos and things that i was finding it hard to do anything else and I had to, at some point, just step away from it for a bit and say, like, okay, this is not helping me. This is not helping anybody else. Um, I wrote down my thoughts um, and I tried to just not read about it for a bit. Um, but it doesn't help to stick your head in the sign and pretend nothing's happening. So eventually you have to pull your head out again. So that's, that's something that, I, that I've struggled with. And I guess... Um, it's why I'm still in a bit of a flat spin. Um, but it's 
I'm, I'm still like extremely concerned, but um, I, I like the fact that a lot of people are talking about it, about the downsides because it felt like everybody was just like, oh, I'm just putting it in everything. And like every tool you open, which is now we have AI. And it was like, oh my God. Anyway, um, and so that was that was the thing. Um, then an interesting thing happened. So at one of our, one of our clients, one of my clients, um, they have like this Slack thing and every day it'll ping you with like, what are you doing, blah, blah, blah. You know, a normal like kind of check-in bot type of deal. And for the most part, this thing is cool and it works and it's fine and you give your things. But on a Thursday, it, it, it asks you a fun question. And it's interesting because it was fine until today. And today it was not fine. Because the question it asked was, what is the scariest thing you've experienced? And I was like, I don't want to go there. <laughs> so, I, so I literally responded <laughs> to it. That's not what said, I expected. Yeah, this question—that's like, hmm. the scariest thing I've ever experienced. <laughs> yeah, so I literally just say like, mm, "I don't want to go there," and that was my answer because you know, I don't like nobody knew, but this is like an AI thing. Probably deciding this seems like a good question, but for a lot of people, that could derail your entire day because when you read the question, your mind is going to go to something. It's going to go to one of these scariest moments in your life and bring it back up. And they say, like, why it's so hard for people that was in war when they come back is if that a memory from that is triggered by something right now, you experience it as if it's happening in the moment. It's PTSD not like essentially almost. Yeah, kind of, you, you lose you don't lose you lose context about where you are and that it's in the past. You are experiencing it as if it's happening right now. So the fact that that question comes up immediately puts me in two, two places. One, holy crap, I didn't want to think about that. Now I have to actively either deal with it or just try not not think of it. And then I immediately think about who else is going to see this question and who else is in a position they shouldn't be seeing this question. And what do I do about this? Should I tell somebody? Um, and then, then you automatically get into that mind loop where you're like, if I'm going to tell somebody this wasn't appropriate, we should probably make sure this never happens again. Are they going to be like, oh, really? It's just a question, you know? It's like, to you, it's just a question. To me, it's it's not. And to somebody else, it might not be as well. You never know, like, what happened to you, Gideon? Like, somebody might have yesterday might have found out they themselves or somebody they love was diagnosed with a cancer or something and now they see that question today and immediately it becomes that they maybe were able to switch into this mode now they're out of it and now that's all all they can think about um so it's interesting that these tools it just shows you how these tools can be can have these negative effects on people's mental health and you never thought about it it's such a seemingly small thing and i think that's what you were hinting at uh Skok as well where it's a small thing that starts this roller coaster and now you don't know how to get off of it um, and, so yeah that and was, then you that feel interesting yeah and then you feel stupid for like you know even going there like i often yeah. joke that you know so like like i'm much better now but you know like I, I think when i was at my worst like it would literally just take someone in the supermarket like like the cashier at the supermarket like looking at me weird and I'd be like, I don't want to live anymore. And, but then you're like, okay, so there's that experience. 
But then, like, you beat yourself up about, like, this is so stupid. Like, this isn't a big, well, like, and then it's like, but now, then you beat yourself up about, like, okay, but you shouldn't beat yourself up about. It's kind of this continual cycle of just, like, it's just beat downs all the way down. Um, yeah, but it's it's interesting. I don't know if you ever read, uh, he co-wrote it with, with someone else, so Eric Meyer. Um, so a book called Design for Real Life. Um in which they actually talk about a lot of these things. And um, so this obviously predates AI, but it's probably going to become more prominent with AI. So um, so he also he lost a daughter to cancer. And so one of the things he talks about is, so obviously the, the, like there's a lot of photos of her like in, in the, they were sharing a lot of stuff on Facebook, like, okay, she's in the hospital, she got like admitted today and whatever. And then obviously Facebook has no sense to actually understand the intent. So then they would get like the next year, they would get like, you know, this time last year or whatever. And it would be like his daughter, like on ventilation machines or whatever. And not only that, but also that juxtaposition of, you know, like the the colorful graphics and like the like animated, like dangly armed people and whatever. You're like, oh, like, see how far you've come last time this year, (laughs) this year, last time and whatever, you know, like so that framing, like and he also speaks about like, man, how that rattled him. Um, and at that time, I think you can do it now, but at that time you couldn't even switch it off. Um, so, so the book is actually about a lot of these type of things. Um, no, so I, I a hundred percent get you. Um, but, uh, yeah, like it's honestly, like as, as someone who's an admin on ZO Tech, it's, it's such a tough thing because like that is, that is just like people's, like that is like the, the, the calling card, like the, like the go-to asshole response is people shouldn't get offended or triggered or upset so easily. Um, but anyway, and, 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 you know, like, and, and, and to a certain degree, sometimes you feel like these things are stupid. Like I, I acknowledge that, but you know, it's also stupid, like bungee jumping and thinking you're going to die because you aren't, you know, like statistically, how likely are you to die from bungee jumping? Way less than actually driving a car, but like there's a, there's a there's a dissonance between what you understand and like understanding the ridiculousness of the situation and how cognitively it's not a big deal, but then there's also like all these other parasymptomatic like emotional responses that happen, and then and I think that's part of the conversation that's missing sometimes. Um, no, I, 100% I would say I experienced a bit of that this week because like I've had a pretty good streak now for a couple of months and it was partly because I didn't have to deal with this certain person on a project and uh, <laughs> I've, I've been there uh, I've been there and uh, unfortunately this week um, I you know I had to have a, a meeting and unfortunately she, she's someone who needs to give the green light on, on, on stuff but it was this whole situation of she'd been unavailable to review things for months and we're months into the project. And now it's like, well, finally she's got time to review stuff, but now it's also like, yeah, it, it feels a bit like a, a, a rainstorm um, of things. And anyway, so I, like during that interaction, I, I just felt like the, 
sure, this person is just throwing, you know, stones everywhere. And, you know, I almost felt like, yo, I'm just a messenger here. Don't, you know, don't kill me. Um, and I, I had a follow-up meeting, I think two days later. And for nearly two days, it was like I had some of the worst sleep because my subconscious just couldn't somehow let go of prior interactions, this exact same feeling I had. And it's like I would wake up in the morning and it's almost like you said that, I don't know if it's the right word to compare it, but like PTSD-like thing of like my mind without consciously wanting it to go there. It just automatically, the moment I wake up, would go there and it would be like I'm reliving that anxiety to the point I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but like if my anxiety is really bad, it's not just in my mind necessarily sort of emotionally anymore, but I can, I, I feel my, my skin tingle. Yeah. Um, like I get it like in the, at the back of my, I usually get yeah. it at the back of my arms. Yeah. Mm. And it's the worst thing for, at least for me, I hate that feeling. Um, so yeah, that's just, just just to get back, I guess, to Scott Nedlin's um, point that, you know, sometimes it's the smallest thing that seemed very innocuous, very, you know, it's like everyday kind of thing um, for, for some people might trigger something terribly traumatic. Um, and I, I think humanity in general, if it's about the whole AI conversation, a lot of other things, I think as humanity, we're not very good at thinking social consequences. Is the right word. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, yeah. through we we love to create. Look, I, I'm I guess a techie, so I love building cool shit. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, we're, we're not very good at kind of thinking through all the hmm. different scenarios. Yeah, I um, and this is what makes it tricky. Is for a very long time when I was younger, I would have a lot of existential anxiety about the ecological crisis. Um, but what makes it tricky is, so I've had, I've come a long way with, I, I won't say I have OCD because I don't have the compulsions, but I definitely have the, the obsessions. So I have, you know, it's a classic thing of don't think about a pink elephant. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and then it's like, you can't think about anything else. Um, and I have to say, the in terms of meds, the Zytomol has helped a ton with that. Um, I don't know how I would have been able to deal with that without medication. Because you can't think yourself out of the thinking problem. Like, the more you try and not think it, the worse it gets. Um, but then, you know, it's also like, like, so there are things that are just, like, absurd. I've had some body dysmorphia stuff where it's like, I'm convinced that my face is so skewed that it makes other people uncomfortable when I speak to them, um, which in retrospect is insane. But uh, but then there are things like that, which has an element of, you know, truth to it. Like, how do you... And, and that's what makes it tricky for me. So there, there's also a great book by Ernst Becker uh, called Denial of Death. I, I think it won a Pulitzer Prize in which he talks about like we by, we have to result to neurolog uh, not neurological, neurotic, neurotic behavior just to cope with the reality that is us and our own animalness 
and the reality of our inevitable death and so forth. Like, so the problem is when that neurotic behavior gets out of control and starts actually causing issues. But we, as humans, have a certain level of neurosis just to survive because the, the, the existential realities of our lives would crush us if we didn't have these neurotic like coping mechanisms. But then that becomes tough. Like, how do you balance that? How do you balance um, actually being upset about things that are big issues? Like, and just uh, not going like, ah, you know, everything is okay. Life, life is wonderful. Life's a dream. Um, and I've, I've found this, like I've been in work in a lot of places where I felt very vindicated, where at some point I kind of started second guessing myself where I'm like, is this actually as bad of an issue as I think it is? Maybe I'm just being alarmist. And then everything's just exploding a year later. And I think that even messes with you even more. Because it's like, I didn't want to be right. Because now it's harder to navigate. Because now it's fine if I can just be like, Skulk, you just think crazy thoughts. Like, stop listening to your head. That discernment is hard for me. Like, discerning the, the, the crazy stuff from the, like, legit things that you should be concerned about. Yeah. I can so relate to that. I mean, that's, I guess, great to some degree that, the, the talks I've done in imposter syndrome, you know, um, has been about is um, I went through an intense period of, you know, essentially gaslighting myself or second guessing, whatever you want to call it myself, because part of mental illness often, depending what it is, is especially I think people experience depression and those sorts of things like you, it, it becomes hard to distinguish, I guess sometimes almost like good intuition which I think we as human beings are capable of versus sometimes it's not that, that is almost like um, triggering a thought. It's, it's, it's something that that's sort of unhealthy. Um, but through a series of comedy, I think errors <laughs> in my career, I, I kind of, it's almost like at some point I'd bump my head in too many conversations and I, it's almost like, you know, breaking in, I guess, uh, trying to tame uh, a wild animal, you know, and, and at some point it was like my, my spirit in a sense, my, you know, that motivation or whatever to speak up about things just gave up. I, I was just like, I'm just going to get shot down because, you know, it's, I'm, I'm different. Like it, this is just going to get shot down. Like I, I'm not even going to open my mouth about this anymore because, and that is, that is probably one of the worst things I'd also done to myself was completely withdrawing and disengaging from certain viewpoints or conversations because, you know, this whole long process. Um, I think that's, yeah, that, I guess that's part of the, the whole thing about mental health in general is that the more we try and hide it, i.e. you don't go to therapy, you don't want to see friends anymore, you don't want to go out to the shops, yada, yada, yada. And the more you do that, it's almost like at, the, at, at that point in time, it feels good, maybe, or better, or whatever. But in the long run, it's almost like it comes to bite me back. Um, and it's difficult. It's, it's a tightrope act. It's not something that just goes away. But... Um, yeah, no, 100%. It's 
Mr. Kalka, I don't know if you have anything to add to that. Um, I mean, I don't know if it's related, but I mean, you mentioned the... So we mentioned the AI thing, and so we're all talking about tech and the house tech is not always... Uh, we don't always think through the unintended consequences of some of the decisions that people make. Um, so I was watching a video from the Deuteron Center for Humane Technology, um, and they did a talk at Apple's HQ about AI and about the potential negative impacts of this if it's not done well, thought through. Which is interesting because Apple hasn't really thrown their hat into the race just yet. So it's interesting how that talk happened a month ago. Um, Steve Wozniak, who kind of was one of the first people to sign the letter where they asked all tech companies to pause on anything bigger than GPT-4. Um, but one of the things I showed in there was this new TikTok filter. Um, and they showed this woman specifically talking about it. And she's like, and then she switches to her actual, like, this is what I actually look like in real life. And it's a remarkable difference between what you see on camera and what she actually looks like. And I was wondering about the impact that has on your brain, because what are you seeing? How are you seeing yourself more often as you are portrayed on TikTok via the filter or when you look in the mirror? You're most likely seeing yourself more reflected back at you through the camera on your phone using TikTok. And when do you reach a point where you look in the mirror and you can't recognize yourself? Because you're like, who's that? That's what, oh, is that what I look like? And what is the impact of that going down the line on, you know, people that, I mean, it's, it's a problem, like some of these types. People spend hours um, recording themselves, viewing other people's content, looking at their own content again to see if it's been liked enough. Um, so it's interesting, like something so seemingly, again, small, what could the potential impact of that be down the line on somebody's, how they think about themselves and how they feel about themselves. And can they accept themselves for who they are? Um, so that was kind of eye-opening. It just made me wonder. And again, that's that's where my brain like starts going, how, what, where can this go? Where can this go? How can this affect people? Yeah. I have to say, things get very real once you have kids, um, for me. Um, I thought I had anxieties before. Now, now, like, I'm like, honestly, even just thinking the things that I got up to when I was younger, like, I'm like, sure, if if, if my daughter does 25% of that, I am very concerned. Um, yeah, it's like, a, yeah, immediately, as you mentioned that, like, you, you think about your own kids, you're like, uh, you know, like, how is that going to impact them? Um yeah, it's tough. Yeah. Um, cool. But I, I think maybe this is a not necessarily the best place to end it off, but I think you're always going to have that problem um, in terms of there's just so much to unpack. And so you're never going to be able to tie. And I, I think this is what I've also found, like especially of talks I've done on mental health. It's getting content is not that hard you know um honestly you can just give me a mic and i can speak about this for 12 hours um having some way to wrap it up 
is always hard because there's no logical way to wrap up a lot of these stuff wrap it up in a in a way that is comforting um like it's almost like you you kind of meant to like it, it kind of by nature you're going to leave it at an open conversation you'll leave it at a point of uncertainty so um, I think even if we continue this thing, we need to get used to that. <laughs> like we're more often than not just going to say like, okay, cool. I think an hour has gone by now. We probably need to look at ending it off into like, instead of going like, all right, so that's a good place to end it. It's never going to be a good place. Um, but yeah, like, so, and I think that's also why it's maybe a good idea to do this as a recurring thing um, because then you don't have that pressure. Then it can be an ongoing conversation. Um but I think maybe a good place to end would be anything. I think what we can do is we can share um, stuff that we've come across that have been helpful or insightful. Um, and I think from my side, I think something that this week has really been very insightful for me is so we have a ton of students at Codespace at the moment. I think we have a, like, a cohort of like almost close to 300 students who just started JavaScript. That's going as well as you can expect, you know, going from HTML and CSS to JavaScript. So like I had to have a call with them the other day and just like reassure them that it's meant to be hard. And that like even hearing that is, is just so encouraging for them right? like i can see it's just like someone being like it is hard like like it's like i understand um and i think for myself i i wish someone could have said that to me at some point in my life like the tech is really hard um Functioning in a tech career is hard. It's frustrating. It's complex. There's, there's nothing wrong with you. It's just inherently some things are just like harder than other things. Um, and I think, I think I just kind of felt grateful that, that I have that insight. Um, just in being able to accept that, that like the, 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 just it comes with the territory. It's hard and frustrating. Yeah. I'm curious that's whether a really any... good point. Yeah. No, so I was just going to say, I remember my first year at Varsity and because uh, at school, because um, I'm old, we did Delphi. And, um, <laughs> Pretty sure there are still some Bar people that do Delphi <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> I'm, not saying, I'm not saying University of Pretoria, but maybe. <laughs> but by the time I got there, it was like object orientation. So the first course module was uh, Java 101. And, uh, you know, trying to, to come to grips with object orientation coming from Delphi and good grief. It, it felt like a world of hurt, like just trying to, you know, understand everything. Um, and, and the textbook written by one of the professors was also horrible, but that's a different thing. Um, but I think yeah, emphasizing to people when they get into, um, you know, something like coding or whatever, that it might feel hard at the beginning, but that's true for a lot of things. I look back as a designer even, and a lot of the things that I learned along the way was also sometimes hard, but it, when, whenever you encounter something new, it, it feels like that. Um, and, you know, don't sort of feel too, don't feel like you're not necessarily built for something. I think I've often convinced myself in, in different situations in my life, I'm not cut out for X or Y or Z. 
happened was because it was really hard and I was probably panicking more than, you know, I, I maybe needed to. Um, and years later, I would figure out, uh, okay, wait, like, it's, it's not that bad. It, it's a process. It takes time. No, 100%. And the irony of that being like, I think there's a lot of voices nowadays that are saying that maybe OOP went too far. And that specific brand of, of object-oriented programming, some of it actually doesn't really make sense. Um, and it adds a lot of complexity. So it's, it's interesting that you kind of were like, this doesn't make sense. It's so confusing. And you're like, oh, there's something wrong with me. And not being like, no, there's something wrong. I think that's the difference between me and you and why I'm probably still in development and you kind of switch over to design. And I was like, no, there's something wrong with Java. Like, this doesn't make sense. You don't need 50 classes to do a hello world exercise. This doesn't make sense. This is insane. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> cool. But, yeah, it's called Nietling. Yeah, I don't know if you maybe have anything uh, that you maybe want to share that you encountered this week or found insightful. Well, I mean, I think like the thing that I mentioned where at some point you have to just distance yourself from some things um, for it to make sense or to have the energy to deal with it again. Sometimes just giving it a bit of distance is what's needed. Um, I mean, I've never, I haven't found any single thing that makes it better. It's a combination of things. And sometimes some of the tools that we have, um, like therapy, medication, uh, meditation, exercise, um, distancing ourselves, um, these kinds of things work better than others. Um, so I think, you know, get the help that you need and try different things and nothing, don't be, like there's, there's a stigma around getting treatment um, and specifically around medication. Uh, I, when I started writing on Medium about this stuff that I started reading other people's stuff who would comment on mine and that was one of the common themes is people are oftentimes scared to say that they are taking medication and it's helping. Um, why in the world that is, I'm not sure, but here we are. Um, so I just want to like put that out there. Like if, if you need medication to help you, then if you are able to, then please do. Um, don't see it as a moral failure because it's not. Um, there's an interesting video that I would recommend people watch. Um, I think the title is something like how to do laundry when you're depressed. And I've shared, I've shared that video around um, and it, it, everybody that watched it was like, thank you so much for sharing that. I needed to hear that. And it, it's this thing that people think if your house is not 100% clean, it's a moral failure. And it's like when you put it into the bigger context of life, not picking up your clothes from the floor is no moral failure on your on your part because you might like she says in this one point i haven't done that because i it needs every ounce of energy i have in me just not to kill myself today and when you look at it that from that perspective washing the dishes is really the smallest thing that you have to be concerned about today um yeah. so yeah i'd recommend people watch that video i think it's a, it's on it's on all the things you know if you just search for it you'll find it there's a book um that she wrote about that as well that was it was really that 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 was impactful for me mm. i'll check that out might even be worth like getting like a, a repo up somewhere where we can just like have resources and stuff um, yeah for sure yeah yeah cool all right thanks everyone um this was really great um 
like I, I found it super insightful. The, the question is just always whether other people find it insightful. Um, but I guess that's just something we'll have to see. Um, yeah. But for me, I think this had a lot of great insight. Yeah. All right. Thanks so yeah, much, thanks everyone, so much. for your time. Yeah, yeah same. Thanks, everybody. This was great. Cool. Thanks, guys.